a new way to celebrate Star Wars Day, a new Assassin's Creed game, and a new podcast. How about that? Hi, I'm Lester Fernandez, and this is the Flint Podcast. Flint is a show that hopes to set off a spark in your head. Episode 1, Our New Normal. Star Wars Day is just around the corner, so may the 4th be with you. If you're used to celebrating Star Wars Day with your friends and family, well, the current lockdown rules and stay-at-home restrictions would not make it very feasible. Well, there are still ways that you can celebrate this amazing epic day with all the people you love. You could watch all the Star Wars movies. You could watch all the TV series that are on right now. That's uh, Star Wars Rebels, Star Wars Resistance, and of course the Star Wars Clone Wars. You can even play Star Wars video games like the very well-received Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is not marred by the cash grab loot box system. (coughs) Battlefront 2. (coughs) Other than that, if you're still looking for another way to celebrate Star Wars Day, uh, you could head over to Disney Plus where Disney is having this amazing series called Disney Gallery The Mandalorian, which is a docu-series about the making of The Mandalorian where for the very first time, as far as I know, they used a video wall instead of green screens, allowing for backgrounds to be placed directly behind actors instead of green screens. And it's been an amazing breakthrough in filmmaking. So John Favreau and the rest of the directors who worked on this show will be talking about how they made the series. Next up, Assassin's Creed. Three days ago, Ubisoft released the trailer for their next Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now we knew from leaks much earlier that the next Assassin's Creed game would be set in Nord's culture and uh, Viking mythology. Earlier we were told that it would be called Assassin's Creed Ragnarok. Now we know that it's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Valhalla follows the story of this Viking raider named Eivor, who leads his people from the lands of ice and snow with the midnight sun and the hot springs flow to England. And we see the mistrust of these people who've come from distant lands, thought of as barbarians and savages. Assassin's Creed Valhalla will be taking a little more of a realistic route to the culture. The whole thing about Viking wearing helmets with horns, well, that is not historically proven to be true. So you'll see a little more realistic take on their culture. But then again, this is Assassin's Creed game. They had a minotaur in the last uh, Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Since the story largely involves moving from a cold place to warmer pasture to set up a place for their people to live, there will be an emphasis on building a settlement. So look at that to be a major part of the gameplay. Also like Odyssey, you will be able to choose what gender you want to play as. So you could play as a Viking raider or as a shield maiden. Also, since Vikings were excellent seafarers, so expect a lot of action at sea in the same league as Black Flag. The game is soon going to be out in holiday season for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. But if you have a PlayStation 4, please do not throw out a game in console because the game will also be available for PS4. While the cinematic trailer was packed to the gills with action and it did quite a bit of shattering of stereotypes associated with Vikings and Norse mythology. It is still not the gameplay trailer. Now, Microsoft has an exclusive marketing partnership with Ubisoft for this game. And on the 7th of May, Microsoft will be unveiling 
games for the upcoming Xbox Series X. So that will have a considerable amount of gameplay videos. So expect to see what the gameplay for Assassin's Creed Valhalla will look like on 7th of May. Our last and main segment in today's podcast is the coronavirus pandemic, the one story that has been dominating the news for the past two months. Joining me to talk about this is Instamojo co-founder and founder of Zentropy, a photographer, biker, and now an agriculturalist, my dear friend, Harshad Sharma. Harshad, welcome to Flint. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And congratulations and all the best for starting this new podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much, Harshad. Harshad, when we last spoke, it was on the 27th of March when the global numbers for COVID-19 positive cases was 5 lakhs. Today, that number has grown more than seven times. What happened? So a bunch of things that I have been reading upon, and let's uh, quickly clarify that I'm not an expert, but I'm a curious student. So what... I have figured out what I have learned so far is the primary reason is we are a very connected civilization today. We have global travel on level that was never before seen, never before possible. So people from everywhere travel everywhere else. On top of that, uh, we had a lack of initial information when the outbreak was starting and a lack of preparedness because you see, uh, for almost a hundred years, we have not seen something of this scale. And because of that, it was a, a, a thing where people were like, okay, we are probably past pandemics now, but obviously we weren't. And there is this expectation that the economy must keep rolling and it must keep growing without bounds. So people were not ready to put a, a, a break on what we consider normal and try and address the situation as soon as possible. So there was a lag in response. Right. It's funny that you've mentioned mm -hmm. uh, the the things that we've considered normal, because as we'll be uh, getting to it, we'll we'll be talking about how this has become the new normal. But I need to to ask you this. We've seen so many pandemics in the past. We've seen in the past two decades, we've seen AIDS, SARS, MERS, swine flu, bird flu, every year, hunger, poverty, jaundice, dysentery. They killed so many people, so many kids every single year. So why this overwhelming response only to COVID-19? What makes this coronavirus different? It's not the only coronavirus. It's not the first one that we've seen. So what what, what, what sets this one apart? So uh, one of the biggest things that sets it apart is uh, the fact that this is a very new virus. We do not have immunity for this. Humans do not have immunity against this virus. And we do not know exactly what harm it does to people. We only know that it is killing a few people. Many people are going without any symptoms. And most people have mild symptoms and they get away with it quite easily. However, this is a very fast spreading disease. It is airborne. It is transmitted through surfaces. And we have something uh, that medical professionals call pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic transmission. So before people develop symptoms, they can go for many days spreading this virus around. They will pass through all the screenings and checks on airports and elsewhere. And they will be spreading this disease for a long time before they realize that they are infected as well. And for many people, they may never realize. They may have the disease and it will go away without showing any symptoms. 
But what this implies for everyone else is that who are susceptible, the people who are at risk, are going to be exposed much more than these other diseases. And serious causes, they require hospitalization and uh, basically ICU, ventilators and other life support systems. And if mm -hmm. too many people get infected at the same time, we don't have enough infrastructure to support all of these people at the same time. So what it can make uh, happen or what it can imply in the future is that other patients who have other illnesses cannot get medical attention because the uh, hospitals are chock full of people suffering from COVID-19. And that basically means that the entire system of healthcare goes down the drain, basically. And we can't right. afford that. Because if that happens, then it's not just the people suffering from COVID-19 who are at risk. It's uh, all the other, other diseases that people suffer from. They can also cause life-threatening situations because they cannot get medical attention that is required. And hence, this uh, completely... Uh, bonkers response if you want to think of it like that but it isn't bonkers it's saving our butt right so i'm guessing hence the term flatten the curve um i've heard this expression before where they say that uh the virus doesn't move it's we who move it also there was another uh, piece of news that I was floating around saying that this is a rich man's disease <laughs> Because um, it's it's the ones who travel. It's the jet set traveling crew that sort of uh, spread it around. We've taken it from one place to another and another and another. Yeah, that was uh, absolutely true when it started spreading globally. Now it mm -hmm. has come to a point where even local contact, where you come in contact with people nearby, that is also spreading the virus. So it is no longer a rich man's disease. It is everybody's disease now. So would you say we're in stage three or stage four of this disease? Uh, from what I understand, I think uh, we are in stage three. And mm -hmm. uh, we have to wait and watch because so many uh, different authorities are taking measures like medical people and governments are taking measures to try and contain this or stop it, put a halt on its uh, spread. So we really have to wait and watch this because this is going to be a long game. This is not going to be right. over anytime soon. Speaking of policy and measures, uh, as someone who's currently practicing a very extreme form of social distancing, we know this because uh, we know that you live 35 kilometers away from any civilization. And as we've seen on Instagram, uh, you live on a farm that's really beautiful. You've got some amazing images and videos of the lightning and thunder. I think it's, it's raining right now where you are. As someone who's practicing this very extreme form of social distancing, how do you see its benefits as a measure that's being taken, not just by our government, but by authorities around the world? I, uh, I like to joke with friends that I've been practicing social distancing for almost a year before <laughs> the lockdown started. And... One major benefit I can say is life is not really different for me from the last entire year compared to the lockdown. Because since we stay so far away and beyond a reserve forest, so uh, we have to stock up for food and other amenities. Because the roads can be closed because of uh, landslides, trees falling on the road, poor visibility because of heavy fog or rain. And that has 
trained uh, the people who stay on this farm, myself, my mother and a few more people who are helping me here, to basically be prepared for situations where we cannot visit the town for a month easily. And on top of that, I also had to go off-grid completely. So this 4G connection is the only grid connection that I really have. I have solar electricity, I have groundwater, and I'm now starting to ramp up uh, growing my own food. We are at around 10% of the food that we eat daily. It comes from our own farm. Having this uh, really makes uh, one realize that self-sufficiency is not only possible, but it gives you a kind of resilience where whatever happens in the cities, whether somebody collect comes to collect the garbage or not, whether somebody goes to uh, release the water for your uh, tank or not, or whether somebody switches on the electricity for you or not, that does not concern us as much. And that really is a way forward for people who can think of this, who can work remotely, who can afford to pull something like this off. I think this is going to give a lot of resilience if you can pursue this path. Mostly no. But in India, with our overpopulated cities, with packed public transport, mm-hmm. how, do, how do we go about, you know, living our lives and still being productive while trying to avoid large social gatherings? I think it comes down to accepting that uh, situation is going to change over the next few years, especially because as we are dealing with COVID-19, we cannot forget that climate change is unraveling as well. So we are going to have situations where cities face a lot of problems in the future. On the other hand, uh, while I was uh, uh, planning and preparing to purchase this piece of farmland, I realized something that shocked me. And that was most of the farmers out here are old, like very old. They are in Mm -hmm. their 60s or 70s. They are... They are quite done, like they want to stop farming, but their children are going to the cities and there is nobody to take care of the farm. There are farmlands that are abandoned because people cannot get up and farm on those lands. They are that old. So what we can aspire for is instead of uh, planning to buy an apartment in the city, for about the same price, you can get an acre or two acres of land somewhere remote. Mm-hmm. And if more young people actually get into farming, not only will it be a, a, a resilient plan for their own sake, but it will mm-hmm. also ensure food security for the future generations because we need more fresh minds, fresh thoughts put into our food production. So I mm-hmm. actually am hoping and trying to promote more people to get into farming for real, like not just... Uh, balcony gardening but grow Mm -hmm. food that can be sold this brings me to an interesting question since you are an agriculturalist and now you're a farmer you've you observe nature from a unique and quite gorgeous vantage point if i may say so tell me are those uh planet is healing memes any way true the reason is uh that I'll, i'll just split this into two parts The part where I say yes is because of lower carbon emissions, less vehicles on the road and uh, less noise pollution for the same reason. 
and less public on roads. There are more spaces that the wildlife is willing to explore. So we are not actually seeing a growth in wildlife. We are just seeing them come into our spaces because finally we have made our cities and spaces worth exploring for these wild creatures. And on top of that, it is around springtime. It's mating season for a lot of creatures. And they are exploring the quiet spaces to uh, maybe lay their eggs or have children, have little pups and babies. So that's the yeah. reason why we are seeing more of animals uh, wander into our spaces, which were threatening to them just a few months before. And the part where I say no is it's really that it's, it's not healing as much as we are just seeing it come into our spaces. And once lockdown is lifted, uh, many people are going to double down on activities that actually harm uh, wildlife and harm nature. Because they'll okay. be trying to cover up for all the lost productivity, so to speak. So they'll try to make up for it and everything will go back to square one. And on top of that, uh, right now, logging activity is actually heightened in several places. And governments are unfortunately passing uh, proposals for uh, activities, corporate activities that harm nature while uh, we are all in a lockdown. So I am really afraid whether the planet is healing or whether we are going to see worse situation once this is done. Speaking about life and the planet itself, if you zoom down right down to a microscopic level and we start looking at viruses that are the root of all this trouble, are viruses even living things? I mean, scientists have debated this forever. Are they living? Are they non-living? Are they just pieces of protein that stay dormant and then just come alive under specific circumstances? What is your perspective on this? So I was just reading up about this recently and uh, some articles said that there are about 200 plus definitions of what is alive and what is not. What can you call life? So this debate is going to go on for quite a long time. But I'll give you an analogy that I uh, thought up. That think mm -hmm. of life analogous to a computer. Because that's something we can relate with, most of us can relate with. So a computer, for it to be useful, you need hardware and software. Now imagine a living cell where the genetic material is the software and the cellular machinery including the machinery to replicate, is the hardware. In most living cells uh, that we talk about, you have both. You have genetic material and you have cellular machinery for energy production and replication. Right. Viruses, on the other hand, they are only genetic material uh, wrapped in a protective layer. So imagine if you say that you have a laptop with windows on it, you can use that computer. But if you have Windows on a USB pen drive or a CD-ROM for the older folks among us, you can't just use that Windows on a CD-ROM to do anything. You need the hardware to run it. So virus, uh, uh, in the same way, needs the cellular machinery of a living cell to replicate itself. Otherwise, it is just a piece of code. So I would say that viruses are not really <clears throat> alive, so to speak, because they need this other machinery to replicate themselves. They are pieces of information. They are like software on a CD-ROM or on an installer. 
Right. I remember, I think it was Bill Bryson in one of his books. I think he, he quoted another scientist uh, mm-hmm. who said that he describes viruses as trouble wrapped in protein. <laughs> I like that definition. Yeah. Okay, speaking of trouble, people are using the coronavirus to further their own agendas. So from vilifying specific communities to discrediting the work that's being done by researchers and scientists to even profiting off other people's misery. They say money doesn't change you, it just shows you who you really are. Could you say the same for this pandemic that it's showing us who we really are? I would say yes, but uh, I, I'll also say that there is a nuanced response to this because nationalization and othering of people ha- has already been underway for a while. Like since a right. few years we have been seeing this distancing of everyone else, mistrust growing between uh, communities and people. And the the truth is right now nobody has hard answers. And when people don't have answers, when there is uncertainty, most people want to take the path of path of least resistance and among those paths is to blame someone else and to believe in whatever uh, uh, somebody says that gives you an easy answer that gives you hope even though if it is false hope people would rather take that hope even if it is at the cost of someone else and this is just human nature we have to address this as a society as a civilization but until we do that what you said is exactly what's happening it is showing us who we really are we are afraid we are uh, not sure about what is coming so we are basically just lashing out on each other because we don't know any better way instead of realizing that we are all in this together we are distancing people uh, emotionally and distancing ourselves from the society in a way where we don't accept that it is all uh, everybody's responsibility and not just someone else who has to take care of this right you know what i keep thinking about this that because the enemy here is so tiny it's invisible there is no tangible person or tangible sort of adversity to blame or to hate or to sort of vilify or attack that we're lashing out and 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 it's just exposing all our inner prejudices and biases so if you are predisposed to thinking of a person or a certain community or a certain sect or a certain people coming from a certain region to be uh, the other or the bad guys then this just amplifies all of that absolutely and there is even more to this that now that we have entered into a stage where uh, community transmission is happening what happens is that people uh, who are already poor and they have lost their jobs have even less resources to take care of themselves and everyone else around them so they show up on the map as having more cases of this disease and that just feeds this prejudice that yeah they are the ones causing it whereas we have to realize that it is affecting them more because we are unequal to start with right okay speaking of uh, how we are reacting to all of this the phrase the new normal it's being thrown around quite a lot these days is any of this really normal i mean like like we spoke in an overpopulated country like ours 
where uh, we travel in packed public transport we live in crowded uh, spaces in, in in crowded buildings our celebrations our festivals and there are many of them all of them uh, have large gatherings how does this new normal even fit into our social constructs i think uh, we really will have to uh, reassess pretty much everything that we have considered as normal so far because let's say one thing is for sure until we have a vaccination for everybody things are going to remain grim and that means most people who can afford to work remotely who can afford to educate themselves and their children remotely will have to do that and just think about this i did this calculation before uh, leaving my job in the city that i used to travel one and half hour one way every day to work so that's 3 hours each day 5 day a week say 4 weeks per month so that's 20 days that was 60 hours per month that is 2 and a half days every month that i was spending in commuting that means in a year 30 days an entire month i was just sitting in the car or on my motorcycle waiting to get to office or to home is that normal like we have to start asking these questions to ourselves is an entire month out of every year worth spending on commute is that supposed to be normal or is it supposed to be that we can work remotely whoever can instead of clogging the roads the arteries of our cities and making uh, it difficult for people who need to get to their job people who are in manufacturing who are working in medical services and other essential services the roads should be free for them whereas right. people who are working in information technology for example can definitely do more of their work remotely maybe go to office once or twice a week and if we can accept that hey this actually makes sense that becomes the new normal without too much of pain for all of us things like cashless economy contact free delivery will become the new normal even though i come from a company that helps people uh, accept digital payments i realize that within india we are nowhere close to going completely cashless because you need to have privacy and sovereignty of each individual who is handling and transferring money and on top of that we are actually seeing a rise in domestic violence because of people having to stay at home and having to see each other's faces all the time so those who are predisposed to domestic violence are getting more opportunities to do so so the new normal for us is not that this is going to be the case but rather how do we set up support systems for each other how do we mm-hmm. handle the rise in bigotry because of uh, the situation that we are seeing unfold in front of us how do we handle the constant threat of outbreaks until we have a vaccination and right. especially with the big, big gatherings that you said mm-hmm. people are emotional they will meet they will go out for festivities they will go out for funerals in massive numbers they will go out for binge drinking if uh, that is one thing where people go out in large numbers yeah. and we will see outbreaks if even one person is infected in that group and all of those people who have gathered here 
many of them will carry that infection home or to work and infect many others. So this is the new normal we, where we have to be really on our toes and aware that things can explode any time. Right. And that really is, is a sobering thought. Like things are not about to just go back to the normal that we were used to and uh, everybody goes and travels everywhere like travel for leisure is going to go down yeah i think that's that's one industry that's going to take a hit absolutely so when the world finally emerges out of this pandemic what should it look like we 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 have already predictive models for what it could look like but what should it look like what what, what is that we can learn from this i think we really need to uh, mature as a species if we want to survive what's coming because as i said before this is not just a single pandemic that we are dealing with right now this is a precursor of things that are to come with global warming with climate change the number of pandemics that can occur the probability is going up so we will probably be dealing with many more of these situations and with warmer temperatures we are going to have more uh, water shortage food shortage drought and erratic weather and more climate refugees so what the world should look like is what a lot of people have been talking about for several years now we need right. equity for everybody we have to learn to uh, accept the fact that we are a global civilization now we are not just limited to tribes and nation states and religious communities anything that affects one of us affects all of us and we have to make our mind and our culture in such a way that we take care of each other where we have healthcare for everyone food security job security and universal basic income so these are the things that are going to help us uh, survive and thrive in the coming years and i really hope this is what we accept as the uh, future of our species this is such an eye opener in fact more than just uh, how we deal with the virus on a medical level i think it's also opening up our eyes to how we look at each other as a species uh, on this planet i was just watching westworld the other day and um, one of the characters describes life as and humans as a very thin film of bacteria covering a rolled up ball of mud that's floating through the void and it's and and and, and if you look at it from a interstellar point of view yeah we we could be a thin film of bacteria on a iron rock that's just floating through the void but we are capable of so much more we hold the capacity for great good and i think if we all just came together uh, and and sort of accept each other without any of the prejudices we could achieve great progress true that i completely agree with you you mentioned something about pandemics increasing and and they will increase with rising temperatures so the next pandemic is going to be a matter of when and not if so how do we from from all that we've been seeing in the past 2 3 months what is it that we can learn to be better prepared for the next one so when the next one comes what is it that we can learn what do, what are the defenses that we can put in place so that we don't take a hit so that we don't have 3.3 or 3.4 million people suffering from covid-19 or the next 
coronavirus or the next pandemic of whatever nature it may be what can we do there are a bunch of things that we can do uh the first and foremost i think is better communication and coordination and this is where again we have to realize that we are a global species now and it's not just a matter of pride for a country or for a group of people that they do not disclose what they are suffering uh what happened in the early days of coronavirus this covid-19 is that china did not release the information on time and by the time uh they started talking about it it had already spread out to several other countries and here is where we have to realize that whatever affects one of us affects all of us so what right. we need to do is open up channels of communication for pandemic response despite our political differences like we can we can be fighting a war with the country but our medical people have to have an open channel with the same country that we are fighting a war with to tell them this is how you deal with the new pandemic that's rising up because that's the human nature that we have to bring out of us and we have to spend on health infrastructure and right. what has happened in the last few years even in india is that we are seeing a bifurcation of health infrastructure one is for the general public and the other is uh, world class uh, health and medical equipment available for those who can pay we have to figure out a way where everybody gets good health uh, infrastructure and medical attention when they need it because unless we do this it is again it affects one of us it affects all of us and we have to really uh, be aware of the fact that nature runs the biggest experimentation lab like all of these mutations that allow these viruses to become more potent or to affect another creature another species so uh, covid-19 for example is a zoonotic disease it has come from animals jumped with a mutation to be able to affect humans and this is going to increase as we cut through more forests have more contact with uh, uh animals that are in the wild so mm-hmm. we have to realize that our activities and our inaction can lead us into trouble so things that we should not be doing such as destroying the last few remaining habitats of wildlife we have to agree globally to stop doing that and we have to agree globally that the countries that are rich enough to provide good healthcare for their people have to do it there and america i'm looking at you and on top of that they have to invest in healthcare for people in poorer countries who do not afford to do that because when they start dying of a new pandemic it's a matter of time when it comes to the rich countries i think it was obama who once said that our values call upon us to care for people who may never know us or never be able to sort of return the favor and i think right. those are very sobering words and 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 it's a cause for pause to just think about what can we do for the least among us so that when the next one strikes or even through this there is no way that we lose one more person simply because our medical facilities were overwhelmed or were ill prepared or just couldn't afford providing healthcare and emergency attention 
to that person i think mm-hmm. that that's something we all need to prepare for probably something that authorities and i'm sure they already are taking this into attention so that the next one doesn't catch us off guard true that this was a very very sobering conversation thank you so much harshad for joining us thank you for uh, inviting me please pass my regards to uh, everyone at home please stay safe i know your extreme social distancing is working out well for you still stay safe take care i'll see you when i see you thank you man and uh, most importantly to everyone in cities please stay at home this really matters it it's for our own good and it really makes a difference for all of us so you stay safe and stay awesome thank you thank you harshad you can check out harshad's beautiful farm and learn more about his way of life over at his instagram at highwayman that's h i w a y m a n flint is written and produced by me lester fernandez the title track for this episode is slowly by mgj beats you can follow me on twitter and instagram at lester that's l e z t a h until the next episode stay safe and stay at home